0: It's Friday, so it's the weekly wrap, but also in the weekly wrap we must incorporate the US jobs data, the all-important first Friday of the month US non-farm payrolls data, and so who better to do that with than Liston manche 's independent economic and financial analyst. Liston, uh, let's start with the jobs data if we can, because a pretty good report again, it's fantastic.
1: Oh, well, <laughs> I wonder if I'm allowed to say ho-hum. Of course cool, I'm not not sure what you can make of it. You know, the number is 128,000. Possibly in three months' time we'll have forgotten what caused it, why it was down there, and there'll be all sorts of other numbers to take our attention. But I, I agree with you. You know, it's a, a potential market-moving uh, number. And the way uh, uh, Bloomberg has chosen to report It's top of the the, the stack in terms of the website that I I go to at the moment. Yes, And it reads, US hiring resilient with 128,000 gain amid strike census. Now, the strike they're referring to is, of course, General Motors, which is over and is going to result in job losses, by the way. But still, they're saying that 128,000 beat... Well, I know what it beat. It was some agreed number by about 15 people who didn't have an idea what number to put in in the first place but thought they'd better subtract something anyway. <laughs> Sorry to be cynical. But I just think this is probably the most unreadable, uh, useless piece of information <laughs> on jobs this year. Uh, and uh, so, again, the only thing we can try to rescue is a little bit of uh, stuff from the, from the data, and the only one that is interesting for me, particularly, it's the one that I watch, is what you could call the youth unemployment, but not like South Africa, where here I'm talking about, you know, about people between the ages of 16 and 19 years. And that uh, rate went down uh, in terms of actual, never mind uh, adjusted, seasonally adjusted. So something reasonably good happened there. And when you actually get to the actual numbers, it's something of the order of 75,000. And in a population of 230-odd million, you know, 75,000 doesn't actually look like an awful lot. But the point is, it was up, and more people are employed at younger ages. We don't know the quality of those jobs. We don't know whether it's just filling in some time before they go back to college, although by now all the colleges would have been back uh, but you know they might have decided to take a gap year or they might have decided to take a, a, a you know a, a, a just a short period before they start something else but at least more are employed you, if you go the, the 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 total route you're probably not getting that same story at all and in fact you've got a story where the number employed and i prefer to look at a year ago to now and uh if you look at October 2018, number employed, 156,952,000. Uh, this year, uh, 159,067,000. Now, you can see that's gone up by about 2 million people. And again, I'm saying that's the kind of thing I like to look at year on year, rather than month-on-month seasonally
0: annualised. Let's have a quick look at the consolidation of the numbers. Non-farm payrolls rose. You like Bloomberg, I automatically go to CNBC because of an absurd loyalty for once working for them. Here it says, non-farm payrolls rose by 128,000 in October, exceeding the estimate of 75,000 from economists surveyed by Dow Jones. There were big revisions of past numbers as well. This is interesting. August's initial 168,000 payrolls addition uh, was revised up to 219,000. That's a massive percentage adjustment. While well, September's jumped from 136 to 180,000. Again, a massive percentage jump to the upside. The unemployment rate ticks slightly higher, though, to 3.6% from 3.5, still near the lowest in 50 years. The pace of average hourly earnings picked up a bit, rising 0.1% to a year-over-year 3% gain. So that's, in a nutshell, that's it. Tell me about the 3.5 to 3.6, if you would, the unemployment rate ticking up slightly.
1: No, well, again, uh, it depends where, where, you know, what you're, what you're looking at. Um, and that's the seasonally adjusted number. Uh, not seasonally adjusted, it's stayed flat at 3.3. So I'm not sure, and I've said it many many times, I'm not sure what their seasonal adjustment factor is for the month of October Remember, by about October, you know, there's a lot of harvesting having to take place. And I know a lot of that's been mechanized, but an awful lot of it still requires people. Uh, and going into November as well, of course. Uh, and, and that's why I say, you know, I, just because you, you've got a seasonal adjustment factor, which pushes from 3.5 to 3.6, I would say, ho-hum, so what?
0: Yes, I would say ho-hum, so what? Anyway, the jobs data are out the way. Let's look back at the week because this is the weekly wrap after all. And the weekly wrap needs to be headlined with, if you can say headline, midterm budget policy statement. Were you as shocked as everybody else?
1: Uh, not at all. Uh, in fact, I thought it was a very measured, rational story. And uh, as a recipient, you would have seen that uh, I, I highlighted the, the, the items that I saw in the in the medium term budget speech. Yes. But I had erroneously highlighted the day before and the day after the budget what he said in February, and actually the continuity is staggering. Mm-hmm. What he said in february he 's sticking to, and he 's saying i 'm going to make it work, and there is no other way and we have to uh, uh, take make uh, uh, tough choices, and there will be challenges and We are looking forward to a robust debate. Well, I think he 's going to get a robust debate, but not shocked at all uh, in fact uh, you know the the only only point you can say is that for for the first time in an awfully long time. He read it uh, in a in a concise way saying where we're at and what is likely to happen. No rose-tinted spectacles. Now, that's one important thing about that, Lindsay, for me anyway. I read it through the eyes of a foreigner. Now, you have a better opportunity to do that than I do. Yes. Uh, and I just thought, you know, when the Minister of Finance says all of that to a foreigner, he says, I'm not coming. I'll wait out. I'll sit this one out. Uh, You know, this is not not what I I want to hear. So on the one side, my biggest disappointment, as I've said to a number of people, and as high up in government as I possibly can, is that until we have a foreigner-friendly environment, why would a foreigner come here? He's been burnt in Argentina, he's been burnt in Venezuela, he's been burnt in Turkey. Golly, you know, why on earth would he come into uh, South Africa when he's not getting messages of, of, of cheer and hope? So, uh, if if you want to say, you know, uh, that side, the other sentence which really, really shocked me, now this was the one I, 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 I didn't have and probably couldn't have had, but... South Africa has been building up a debt structure in in government probably since Keynes, and that's rolling on for about 80-odd years. And we managed to get to the massive number of debt of 3 trillion rand. Now, you and I can't even describe what 3 trillion looks like.
0: It's a lot of noughts.
1: It's a lot of noughts. I think it's 12. But the bigger part of that is that they expect it to go to $4.5 trillion. That's 50% more in the next three years. Now, if I were a foreigner and I read mm. that, I'd say, are they serious? That's impossible. And that's when he warned and he said we could go to 70% uh, of GDP if... Uh, things continue un, uh, unchecked.
0: Just before you yeah. go on, just just put that into layman's terms. 70% of GDP. So if South Africa earns 100 grand, 70 of that is debt. Is that what you're saying? 70 of that we have to pay back to somebody because we've borrowed well, money. Is that the way I'm reading it?
1: Yes. Well, the important part always, and this applies internationally, is what rate you're paying on your debt. Now, we're paying around about 8% but call it 10. So if you're at 70% of GDP, your debt is going to be 7% of GDP just go straight to the lenders. Now, the real question is who the lenders are. If they're in the same economy as you, that's fine because, you know, one, one person's uh, a payment is another person's deposit. But if most of that debt is held by foreigners, then that's money leaving the country. But it also is, depending on where you score, and this is the bigger problem, is that you know at the national level you have one thing, but at each company and each division and each uh, department of the government, you have a specific a set of amounts. Now, if you're paying out so much interest, and this was the point that, that uh, Tito Mboweni made, yes. he said if we get to that stage, he said that we will be paying more in terms of interest on the national debt, then we will be paying for education and health. Now, you don't have to be sitting anywhere and to hear that to realize, as he says, that is unsustainable. Now, as it turns out, the debt-to-GDP numbers in many developed countries are approaching 100, 130 in some cases. In Japan, it is 240 times, 240 percent, And the only reason is their interest rates are zero to 0.5. Well, you can have any amount of debt at zero interest and it doesn't take anything from anybody.
0: So it's an interest rate story, not a GDP story. I mean, I always think to myself, well, if the US has a massive deficit or has a massive debt to GDP ratio, I think, well, this is the biggest economy in the world and it can pay things back. But South Africa doesn't. It's at best one of the worst economies in the world and may grow at one to one and a half percent over the next couple of years. So we can't pay back. So it's not only a GDP story, an economic growth story but also a debt servicing and interest rate story is that what you're saying
1: that is exactly right and i'm saying you, you know if you think of it as a household if you're paying 70 percent of your income on uh, uh repaying debt uh, as a, 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 you don't have much left over at the end of the month now it's not quite in the same league as as our over indebted consumer and by the way, that number of 70% is probably about right for your average consumer in South Africa. It's rather horrifying. But the, but the point is you can't have both. As I said before, though, in an economy, a closed economy, one man's payment of interest, we pay interest to the banks. The banks take the interest. They pay that interest to uh, depositors. Of course, they keep some for the, for the banks themselves. And, and you, you get that same loop. So it really depends on the ownership, but it's the pressure it puts on each individual and each company if there is too much debt to A, have interest on, and B, at some stage to be repaid. And you'll notice that Tito Mboweni was very firm with with ESCOM. He said, you got yourself in this mess. You have to get yourselves out. And the second thing is, he said, we're not bailing you out with equity. It'll be in the form of loans which have to be repaid. Mm.
0: Well, he, say, he said you got yourself into this. When you say you, you're almost assuming there's a group of people sitting at Eskom that got themselves into this. But, of course, there were wheels within wheels and puppets. They were puppets on a string of a previous administration. So, unfortunately, that thank goodness, that previous administration has gone. And now it's up to people to say, right. Let's clear all this rubbish out. Let's clear out the excess and get on with it. So it's slightly unfair to say you got yourself into this.
1: But I I think, you know, in in, in fairness, uh, you know, he also talked about South African airways. And I remember him saying this. I don't think it was in the previous budget, but he did say it on a public platform. But the statement he gives is, SAA is likely to ever generate enough cash flow to sustain operations in its current configuration, which then begs the question how long are we going to be on this flight path? Forever? Mm. I think not. Wow.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: That's quite something coming from the, uh, the Minister of Finance. And he's got access to all the numbers, as you would know.
0: Most people say that he's been very honest and he's laid his soul and the the soul of the economy bare.
1: But on the other
0: hand, he hasn't said, and because of that, we're going to do this. That's the that's the overriding, overwhelming commentary that I get from other commentators. You're not quite the same, Liston.
1: Well, no. But again, I've I've gone through this thing in great detail. I've colored it in. And by the way, any listener, or I'm sorry, uh, any listener to the podcast yes. uh, who, who would like uh, to get a copy, they only have to email me, liston at liston.co.za, and I'll happily send them a copy of what I call my annotated and, and reduced uh, uh, speech.
0: Can I put it so, up on the website as well? Is that okay?
1: Yes, please. I, I don't you. see any problem with that. Um, but here's a sentence that, that, that gets gets to me Public sector infrastructure projects are plagued by poor planning and implementation. I have never seen a Minister of Finance anywhere say that. He has finally said it. The only part that was missing, and in fairness to him, he can't do a mea culpa and say it was my fault. But at no stage does he say it is the fault of the policies we've been following. It is the fault of the individuals under whom and with whom I served. Um, You know... (laughs) Uh, But then again, I think it's fair to say that uh, Tito Mbaweni has always been his own man.
0: Yes, he really has. And he's becoming more and more his own man as he becomes wiser and older and less, I think, uh, politically aligned. Although he obviously still has his political allegiances outside of the MTBPS, outside of the monthly jobs numbers from the United States of America and the PPI uh, in South Africa, which again fell. What are you seeing, Liston? Why don't we look at the corporate side of things? Anything on the JSC that has caught your eye sector-wise or individual stock-wise this week?
1: Uh, You know, I sometimes appear on television and they ask me for a stock pick. And I never really understand that question because, you know, part of my job is looking after other people's money. Why would I give my best ideas free to uh, listeners uh, or do it in print? Now, occasionally I do give an idea of how I'm seeing uh, one or another. But what I did this week was I said I, I would like to look and see what the, who the beneficiaries of the budget are before I make a choice. Good idea. Uh, for this uh, one-off, uh, never-measured, never-scored uh, stock pick. And I actually said on air that, I, you know, I can't get a lead on it, firstly, from the way that the the markets reacted. Of course, the one reaction was the RAND blew out and a number of RAND beneficiaries, RAND players became beneficiaries. But I I looked again and I said, you know, the the words that keep coming are infrastructure and, and, uh, you know, bringing the public sector into the infrastructure fund and all of those good things. And I would normally, under other circumstances, have said, you know, your your building and construction sector is the area to be looking. But I can't bring myself to say that. I look at it and mm. I say it's in absolute tatters. Yes. Now, I think I know some of the reasoning behind that. But my second problem with all of that is that, in fact, sitting where I sit in the, in the area of Santon and Rosebank, I see cranes on the skyline building buildings, and I say, who is going to inhabit them? Or worse, they will become inhabited, but they will leave ghosts buildings behind them I think that there's I, just before yeah.
0: you go on about that I spoke to Wayne McCurry mm-hmm. on that very subject and he was of the opinion that Santon is a node that is unique and elsewhere there might be actually shortage of, of space now I don't know where he got that from because I didn't press him on it but he said that what you've just said is uh, absolutely correct there are cranes and there are to let signs <laughs> in the same street which is quite odd but on the other hand don't always look at Santon as representative of the big picture.
1: No, the point I'm making is that at some stage, it will become apparent to developers that the game is over, at which point an incredible number of workers will be out of work. That is part of the GDP. The miserable 0.5% GDP we're getting is coming from new buildings. And if that stops, I just don 't know where we will go to, so the real question and it's, it 's it 's on the, on everybody 's mind with a thirty percent unemployment rate and by the way, that came went up as well um, Where will the growth come from that will provide those jobs and One of the answers that comes through, and I still have to have to uh, 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 fight this fight. Uh, This was the previous statistician general, uh, uh, Pali Luchosla, talking at a sustainable development goals, that's the United Nations compact, all under the United Nations uh, 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 principles of responsible investing, sponsored by the stock exchange. Can you believe it? Massive collection of people. And and he got up and he said, well, number one, uh, if you talk to the government, you will find that in the twenty five years we have had ten new economic plans. If you go to China in thirty years, they've had three
0: <laughs> the ten so year plan every ten year, years, of course,
1: yes having a new three having a new plan doesn't help it in fact hinders because it's got different imperatives it's got different everything, the policy's no sooner been worked out than it's it it's it defunct, so he had a, a if I may say you know a fairly a well argued uh, 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 story, and obviously from from his experience at at the, the uh, Department of Statistics. But but the but the point I come back to is he was saying that poverty isn't just poverty, you have to or sorry poverty isn't just lack of income. There are other forms of poverty, and with a huge amount of work and whatever, he has identified that one of the poverties that you need to try to score is a poverty of education. That's a different way of saying that education is highly important. It will determine what kind of job you can and will get in the future. But and there were questions about correlations, obviously, from the audience. But the point I make is that you will find that the children of poor people generally end up poor, and the children of rich people generally end up rich. The rich people can afford to send their kids to schools to uh, universities overseas and they then also have a contact group which is in the same mold so i don't know how you want to call it but (laughs) you know there's nothing in the budget that looked like it was going to do that we get statistics that say our our education system is poor i defy that i mean i've had children go through this i have friends whose children have gone through the system and their knowledge way exceeds age for age with what i had back then well, so i
0: think you maybe lo- maybe we should look at it geographically listen rather than the, the, well, the no, experience I'm talking
1: about private schools
0: yes yeah you're you're quite right And talking about the rich children of the rich people generally be rich, then you can also look at somebody called Donald J. Trump, because he has become rich simply because of his father being rich. And he also managed to dodge the draft because of his father having a friend who was a doctor who wrote him a a spurious note saying that he had bone spurs and he couldn't go to Vietnam, whereas a poor person, bone spurs or not, would have gone to Vietnam and put his life on the line. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, we can't talk too much about Donald J, I don't think. Uh, again, uh, you know, there's a very slow wheel grinding there, uh, courtesy of Nancy Pelosi, yes. the Speaker of yes. the House. And uh, at least they've got the go forward on the impeachment proceedings. And it's all very well for Trump to say, there's no no basis for this. Mm. I would say that if I were the president and likely to be impeached, I as well. But there is evidence coming through day by day of people saying he did say that. He did lean on this uh, person in Ukraine. And they're they're spending a lot of time on, and, and I think Donald is quite right on this one. You know, if you have a phone call to the Ukraine and you say, I would appreciate it if you do this, to say that that was your policy, that was your background, and that you defeated the ends of justice doing it, it's a little bit hard of an ask for me but it interestingly in that vote uh, two Repu- uh, no republicans voted in in favor of the of the item uh, but two democrats voted against it so that at least you know you you see that there are some democrats who say this also is not as strong a case as you would like it to be. I disagree. To, I, I think that the, the, Boris. the Democrats move that voted it. against move. it
0: listen, are, are saying that because they think that it will empower Donald Trump for his 2020 campaign. In other words...
1: Well, who else? Yeah. Have, you, have you seen a candidate who can take him on?
0: Yeah, it doesn't look great, does it?
1: <laughs> There's still a whole year and a bit to go, so let let's see what emerges. Yes. Uh, yeah, but I but, but I have I've honestly gone and looked through the uh, through the list, and being uh, the kind of person I am, and, and and you and I have been conversing, and I guess the the listeners will, will understand kind of where I come from. But the most interesting and different person standing particularly for the Democrats, is a fellow by the name of Yang. And he has a group of people supporting him called the Yang Gang. Uh, yeah. And he has, instead of red hats with M-A-G-A on it, he has blue hats with M-A-T-H on it. What does that mean? And that's not to, say, not to talk about science and mathematics, although he is a, uh, uh, a person who understands the digital economy, but it stands for Make Americans Think Harder. And at least he's got a slogan, at least he's got a back base. He has never been in government anywhere. He has no credentials whatsoever. And I'm saying if that's the kind of best alternative, you don't win, honestly, by putting up somebody who's the the same age or older than uh, Donald Trump.
0: Who's the chap that's a hedge fund manager? The Democrats, he's way in the distance. He's not going to be nominated, but um, to yeah. me, he was the most eloquent and credible that I saw of all the Democratic nominees. And that was a chap- I think it was Tom Steyer, something like that, what is his name? He's something a- like
1: that. No, I haven't, got, I haven't got that list in front of me at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're, we're, but again, you know, we're now into that one. And then we go across to Brexit. And I don't know how much time we've got, Lindsay, but I know... You've you got know five minutes. I sent it to you. Mm. Uh, the year is 2192, and the uh, British Prime Minister is making his annual visit to Brussels to ask for an extension. Um, <laughs> nobody knows where this tradition arose, but uh, it attracts thousands of visitors every year. Yes, I did see that. That
0: was, uh, that was quite prevalent on, on social media. It's very funny, and it does seem as though it has gone on and on and now we've got until January the 31st and there'll be another extension or the general election will mean that there's another referendum. It's all very comical in many ways, but on the other hand, it's all very distasteful at the same time.
1: Question: Two questions for you, Lindsay. Go on then. Who benefits from this and Uh, what would you do strategically or in, in your investment strategy Given that you now know where we are or are not, what is your investment
0: strategy? Well, who benefits, first of all, the $100 that was spent on an advertising campaign by Boris Johnson over the last two months since he's been Prime Minister, obviously the advertising agencies, I would say that the legal fraternity in the UK and Brussels and beyond have benefited. Otherwise, nobody has benefited, certainly not the European economy, because of the uncertainty and the policy and decision-making paralysis, both at the corporate and the public level. They're the people that haven't benefited. As for, how would I advise someone i would say look at the really beaten up stocks with price to book values that are at record lows or rather at three-decade lows i would look at retailers i would look at building material companies construction companies and that sort of thing in in the united kingdom because when this is all over people are going to say well it may not be the result i wanted but let's get on with it anyway
1: i think you're right what is happening and uh, you know there's all kinds of mathematical formulae and ideas but the point is uncertainty causes prices to decline you simply don't know so you can't even fill in a a, a, a forecast and say well i think this company will be doing this in three years time you you actually haven't a clue but we all know that over the last three years it has been mighty difficult on the high street and that's not just because of of uh, brexit it's also because of digitization and uh, you know amazon and, and the like but i Just agree, I have to agree with you and say, you know, if you can see a a gap in the the system where you know that there will, in three years' time, whichever way things go, there will be a demand for the product, there will be a, a demand for the services, and they're being valued at way lower than they're normally valued at. Now, you know, the reason I'm saying that and the reason I've kind of got a laugh in my voice is that's actually what we are taught, what, how we should analyze, is we look for companies which are currently trading at a, a level lower than they ought to be trading at, given a return to uh, a more, uh, um, shall we say, stable circumstances. That's what we look for. And whether you call that value investing or common sense or um, discount to fair value, that's yes. what we're taught. <laughs> so it's just quite interesting. that We've got the microcosm of an MBA uh, analysis in our hands, but I don't find people talking it. They'd rather wonder whether uh, uh, Jeremy Corbyn is going to do X or Y. and. I find it, I, I personally find it very
0: funny. Yes I find it funny I'd find it funny if it weren't so sad and if so many people hadn't been affected by this debacle. Liston Manchies, thank you very much for your time. Liston Manchies is an independent financial and economic advisor you can contact him for his wisdom his for his charts and for all sorts of other things that he puts out prolifically every week by going to Liston at liston.co.za and also go to the strictlybusinesspodcast.com website for those charts and also for his MTBPS analysis, which is going to be up there in the next few hours.